This is the last Sunday of 2020 and we want to take this opportunity and the time that we have this evening to remind ourselves that our Lord is the Lord of history. And we're going to begin with a reading from John chapter 1 that shows us the high position and the authority of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is God's word. Singing peace 
Father, we have read and we have sung about how your son stepped down, how he left his high position, humbling himself for our salvation. And we thank you that he knows our weakness today because he entered into it. We pray for all those in our fellowship who are feeling their own weakness right now, whether it's physical illness or fear or lack of hope, or not being able to see the next step to take in their situation, will you bring your peace to them? Will you lead them forward? And we thank you for a Savior who does lead us forward, because today he is more than a baby. He is more than a man on a cross. He is the one who was dead, but he is now alive forever and ever. So we look to him as we face this new year. We look to him with confidence. He is the Lord of history. And that means he's the Lord of our own personal history. Each one of us. And we worship you our Father in heaven, for sending this ever-living Savior. Amen.
Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, if you have a Bible. This morning we looked at the vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, and so we're already a little bit acclimatized to this book of Revelation. John is being shown a series of visions in this book, and in chapter 1 he was told these visions show both what is now and what will take place later. So this book is not all about the future. Much of it, in fact, shows us what is true now, today. That was certainly the case in chapter 1. There John was shown the reality that the risen Jesus is Lord of the church. And this evening we're going to look at another vision of what is true now, today. We're going to skip over chapters 2 and 3, which contain Jesus' words to the seven churches. And we're also going to skip over chapter 4. But we need some idea of what chapter 4 is about. 
In that chapter, John is shown a vision of the throne room of heaven. And he describes what he sees, starting with the throne itself. And then moving on to describe the scene around the throne. He tells us in chapter 4 that around the throne he sees 24 elders representing the victorious people of God. And he sees four living creatures representing God's sovereignty over all of creation. And chapter 4 ended with John describing the work of the 24 elders and the four living creatures. They bring worship day and night to the one on the throne. And now as we pick up in chapter 5, we find that having described the throne room for us, John looks back to where he started. His focus returns to the one on the throne. And what he sees makes him weep with frustration. So let's read this chapter, Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. 
The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is God's Word. In chapter 4, John began his description of the throne room of heaven by saying, There before me was a throne with someone sitting on it. And by the end of the chapter, it was clear, the one sitting on the throne is the Lord God Almighty. And now at the beginning of chapter 5, as John returns to this figure on the throne, he tells us about the problem of the sealed scroll. Who is worthy? Verse 1, he says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So in God's right hand, John sees something like this. And notice what we're told about this in verse 1. Three things. First of all, it's in the right hand of the Lord God Almighty, meaning it is His scroll. The contents of the scroll come from Him. Then we're told, second, this scroll has writing on both sides. Why is that worth mentioning? Well, at this time, scrolls were not made out of paper. They were made of either papyrus, which is a plant, or they're made out of vellum, which is animal skin. And whichever material was used, usually people only wrote on one side of the scroll. That's because both papyrus and vellum had one smooth side and one rough side. The rough side was very hard to write on. So if someone did write on both sides of a scroll, it meant they wanted to fit everything onto one scroll. Scrolls had a maximum length. There's only so many bits you can join together before the thing gets unmanageable or it breaks. So scrolls had a maximum length of just over 30 feet. That was as big as they could get. And that meant if you had lots to write and you wanted to put it all on one scroll instead of spreading it over two, then you had to write on both sides. So what we're being told here is that whatever this scroll is about, it's complete. There's nothing missing. There's nothing that's been left over or left out that would require another scroll. There's nothing still to be added. It's all here in this one scroll. So far we've been told it's God's scroll, it's complete. And thirdly, we're told in verse 1, the scroll is currently rolled up and sealed with seven seals. And that indicates a couple of things. It means the contents of the scroll cannot be changed. It's sealed seven times, seven being the number of wholeness or completeness. And the seals tell us this is the equivalent of a will. The Roman emperors Augustus and Vespasian left behind their wills sealed with seven seals. And this scroll in God's hand is God's will. It contains his plans and purposes, his will for the rest of history. But so long as the scroll remains sealed, its contents cannot be known. 
And equally important, they cannot be carried out. They cannot become reality. Until the scroll is opened, God's will cannot be put into effect. And so John says in verse 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? These words are spoken by a mighty angel because his challenge is going out to the whole universe. Who among you is qualified? Who has the right? Who in all of creation can approach the Almighty on his throne? Who can take the scroll from his hand and open it? Who can carry out the plans contained in the scroll? Who is worthy, the angel says. Come, step forward. There's silence. The angel waits. John waits with excitement. But eventually he has to report in verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside it. Why is John weeping? What's so sad? Well, remember what's on the scroll. God's will. God's purposes for history and eternity. John weeps because if the scroll stays sealed, history has no purpose. And our lives have ultimately no meaning. And where there's no meaning, there's no hope. John has seen the Lord God Almighty, the sovereign Lord of creation. And if his plans go unfulfilled, then there is no plan at all. Not for the world and not for my life or yours. In that case, the only way forward would be for us to try and make up some meaning for our lives. And then try not to think about the fact we made it up. It's no wonder John weeps. Ralph Barton was a successful writer who committed suicide. And this is the note he left behind. I have had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I have gone from wife to wife, house to house, visited great countries of the world. But I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. As far as I know, Ralph Barton was an atheist. And he could see the full implications of his position. If there is no one on the throne of the universe, then there's no plan for the universe. And we're all just trying to invent ways to fill up our time. And equally, equally, if there is a God with a plan, but his plan cannot be carried out, then we're in exactly the same position. It's no wonder John weeps. It seems like the scroll in God's hand cannot be opened. Now, there is an obvious question we could ask at this point. Why doesn't the one on the throne just open the scroll himself? 
And the answer is that someone from creation is needed to open the scroll. A worthy member of creation is required if God's plans are to be fulfilled. Creation needs a representative who can approach God's throne. So far, we don't know why that is, but we know it's the case. Because the mighty angel has called out to creation. But no one has come forward. And who could? Who could presume to approach the Almighty on his throne? It's no wonder John weeps. But John has wept too soon. Look at verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. A better translation would be, He has triumphed, and so he is able to open the scroll. In other words, this person is able to open the scroll because he has triumphed. His triumph, whatever it is, has won him that right. Well, this is more like it. A worthy person has been found. And he sounds like a majestic individual. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion has always been a symbol of majesty. But this particular title is picking up on the book of Genesis. The 12 tribes of Israel originated from the 12 sons of Jacob. And Genesis compares Jacob's son Judah to a lion. And that book also contains a prophecy that one of Judah's descendants would eventually rule the nations. And the elder says to John, here he is, the lion of Judah. He's also described as the root of David. We noticed last week in the book of Ruth, David was Israel's greatest king. And he was from the tribe of Judah. So this lion John is being told about is a human being, and apparently he is also worthy. He has triumphed in some way. And that qualifies him to open the scroll. The mighty angel has found the one he called for. Creation has its representative. And he is a triumphant king. So we're ready now to meet this lion face to face. But when John looks, he sees not a lion, but a lamb. Verse 6, looking as if it had been slain. What? Is John looking in the wrong direction? Has he turned the wrong way? No, the lion is the lamb. And the lamb is the lion. The lion triumphed by becoming the slaughtered lamb. He is the one who is worthy. And by this point, we know John is looking at Jesus Christ. The first page of the New Testament traces Jesus' human ancestry back to both David and Judah. Jesus is the lion. But he's the lion who triumphed not by crushing his enemies, but by submitting to death at the hands of his enemies, like a lamb. We'll see in a moment why that was a triumph. 
But it's worth repeating here something we learned in chapter 1 this morning. There, John saw Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth. And we realized the vision is not showing us what Jesus physically looks like. It's telling us something about him. His word rules. And here, we're not being told that Jesus physically looks like a lion or a lamb. Both of those pictures tell us things about who he is. He is the king who won a great victory by his death. And now he has risen from death with power. Verse 6 says, He is standing at the center of the throne. And he has seven horns. The horn is a symbol of power. So seven horns indicate complete power. The lamb also has seven eyes, which we are told are the seven spirits of God, or the sevenfold spirit of God, sent out into all the earth. So it seems this sevenfold spirit is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The spirit is sent by the Lamb. So the Lamb, now risen from death, has all the power and authority of the Lion. He is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And so in verse 7, He went and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. And when He had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. The lion lamb has triumphed. That is a reason to celebrate in heaven. And heaven does celebrate with a new song that's never been sung before. Commentators tell us we're not to think of the music here as dreamy, ethereal kind of stuff. Maybe that's what we normally associate with harps. But this music is joyful. It's bouncy. Maybe we should think of ukuleles and steel drums. And along with the party music, there is a festive smell in heaven from bowls full of incense which symbolize the prayers of God's people. That tells us the worship of God's people on earth is added to this celebration in heaven. And the opening part of this new song gives us the reason why the lion lamb is worthy to open the scroll. It is not simply because he died. It's because of what his death achieved. If you look in the middle of verse 9, you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Blood in Scripture is a way of talking about violent, sacrificial death. And no one familiar with their Bible could read this song and not think about two Old Testament passages. First, the slaughtered lamb in the book of Exodus. Just before God led the Israelites out of Egypt, He told them, My judgment is coming on Egypt. Death is coming on Egypt. 
So each Israelite family must take a lamb, they must slaughter it, and put some of the blood on the door frames of your houses. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The point was, God would accept the lamb's death in place of the people's death. The slaughtered lamb would buy life for Israel in the midst of all that judgment that was falling. They would live because of the lamb. And those who knew their Bibles would also read this song in Revelation, and they would remember the prophecy of another slaughtered lamb in the Old Testament. A servant of God mentioned in Isaiah chapter 53. A man who would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. Whose death would buy life for many. That is what Jesus did on the cross. His death was not an unfortunate setback for God's plans. It was a triumph. His death won. It bought a people for God out of their slavery to sin. Without the work of the slain lamb, God's purposes would not be fulfilled. The new heaven and earth would be empty. And we would all face God's judgment for our sin. But the lamb died as our substitute. When we trust in his work, we become part of this people he has bought with his blood. And notice this is not just about being saved from judgment, as great as that is. We have been bought, verse 10 says, for God's service. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Being bought to serve God is not a downside. It means our lives have purpose. We don't have to try and make up a reason to get out of bed in the morning. We know why our hearts are beating. We know why our lungs are drawing breath. It's so we can serve God. We do our work. We fulfill our responsibilities, whatever they are, and they're different for all of us. We do those things not ultimately for ourselves, not for our boss, not for our teacher. We do it for God. And His service It's not burdensome. It's not drudgery. It's where we find our true fulfillment. It's what we were made for. We serve Him today, and this song in heaven says we will reign with Him then on His new heaven and earth. That will be described at the end of the book of Revelation. So far, we've listened to part one of this new song in heaven. And the focus has been on the work of the man, Jesus Christ, the descendant of Judah and David. But we've seen clear indications Jesus Christ is not just a man. For one thing, verse 8 told us the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before him in worship. In chapter 4, They were all worshiping the Almighty on the throne. That already tells us Jesus is more than just a man if the worship is directed to him too. And parts two and three of this new song make that clear. The lion lamb 
is worthy of worship. This song in heaven was begun by the four living creatures and the 24 elders. They played the introduction to the song on their exuberant instruments, and they began the singing. But now in part two of the song, they're joined by others, masses and masses of them in verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. So this massive angel choir forms another circle round the throne, beyond the circle formed by the elders and the living creatures. That's an understatement when John says the angelic praise is loud. The hymn writer was right to say the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. And notice that seven terms are used here. Seven things Jesus is worthy to receive in verse 12. In other words, he is completely worthy of praise. And he is worthy of complete praise. And then on part three of this new song, the massed choir, if we think it couldn't get any bigger, is now joined by all of creation. Verse 13, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down in worship. This third part of the song makes clear what we've already seen. The Lamb receives the same worship as the one who sits on the throne. The praise of heaven is directed to the one on the throne and to the Lamb. The Lamb shares fully in the glory and worthiness of the Almighty. He shares the godness of the one on the throne. There's still a distinction between them. They are not the same person. The lamb was slain. The one who sits on the throne was not. And yet they, they share equally in this praise, honor, and glory. The one whose purposes for history are being fulfilled and the one who is fulfilling those purposes. That's why all of creation joins in this praise. Because the problem of the unopened scroll has been solved. Verse 3 told us, none of these worshiping creatures was worthy to open it. But if the purposes in the scroll were to be fulfilled, if there was to be not only judgment but also salvation, then first a representative of creation had to die in the place of creation to open up a way of salvation. And so the eternal Son of God became a man at Christmas. And he paid the price at Easter. And now all of creation joins in this song because it knows not just humanity, but all of creation will be set free. 
all of God's purposes will come to pass. Not only for us, but for this heaven and earth, this creation that's so broken and subjected to frustration. And that's what John has shown in chapters 6 to 22 of this book when the scroll is finally opened. It hasn't been opened yet. God's purposes, we'll see in the rest of this book if we were to go through it, his purposes include not only terrible judgment on his enemies, but also eternal blessing for his people, for those who trust in the Lamb. And God's purposes ultimately include the renewal of all creation. And so, the weeping of verse 4 has turned into this new song of jubilant praise. And if you and I are trusting in the Lamb, then you and I have every reason to share in this excitement. Because the Lamb was slain, we have a secure future. The price has been paid. And our Lord Jesus is Lord of history. He's not just Lord of the past. He's Lord of every day of our lives, every day still to come. Every day our lives now have genuine purpose and they have eternal significance. We don't have to make up reasons to live. We're here to serve the Lord of heaven and earth. Our whole lives can be a song of praise as we offer them to him to do his will. So let's take this truth with us into the new year. Let's take this vision along with the one we saw this morning. So many people around us today have no higher ambition for 2021 than staying safe and avoiding the virus. That's as far as their horizon goes. But we live to serve the Lord of history. And we know that privilege will never be taken away from us. Not in life or in death. Death has lost its sting for us. I know sometimes we live like we've forgotten that. But let's remember it this new year. Because Jesus died, we do not have to spend our lives cowering in fear. We can get on with living our lives for the Lord of history. And our final song reminds us the work of the Lamb that we've just been hearing about. His work began in Bethlehem. And it took him eventually all the way to the cross.
sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> 